0: So first, um, I think it's only appropriate that, uh, that I be welcoming Joshua Stafford. I don't know if you're watching live or maybe you'll watch, watch it later, Joshua, but we're excited to have you here. And of course, we know it's all contingent on you graduating from high school. Uh, so, but we, we think you'll, you'll do that well, so we're glad to have you here look forward to you and just know that when you do get here you'll have to suffer through some internecine staff humor that's just part of the deal so um, over the years i've uh, gotten to know quite a few of you some of you better than others but i must tell you every time i think about being here with you i imagine you all And I'm so filled with affection and uh, love for you. And it may sound corny, but I really, I love this place and and you all. You are uh, wonderful people. And it's uh, what a gift to be here with you in this journey together. Um, However, I must say I ran into one of you lovely parishioners yesterday. And and when she found that I was preaching today, she said, Now don't put me to sleep. Now I'm not going to say who it was, she is here today, <clears throat> so you can look around and just start making your uh, judgments on that, but at any rate, uh, today, uh, as, as Emily said, we're going to be reading from the uh, Gospel of John, the third chapter, one verse in that is probably the one Bible verse that you, all of us, memorized when we were little. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Probably the first, maybe the only verse we memorized. It's it's uh, it's the the gospel in a nutshell. We've we've been told, and this assertion about divine love—that's what it's about. As we got older, by the time we got into youth group, it really became kind of an if then clause. If you believe in Jesus, then you will be saved. Didn't sound quite as much good news, but for those of us who've been nurtured in faith since we were little children, maybe as infants, maybe we can't point to a time in our life when we were born again. And so... That language can be off-putting or disconcerting. I would like us to hear this familiar text in a new way today. And one of the ways we're going to do that is by listening to it as a dialogue between two people because that's what most of it was. So I'm going to call up Izzy and Bryce again, our two youth interns who have vast experience in Uh, acting, and uh, they are going to uh, read this, but first let us have a prayer. Lord God, may your spirit hover, hover over us and work within us and help us to listen anew to what you have to say to us today, that we may go from here confident about who we are and whose we are. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him,
1: "'Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God.' Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. How can these things be? Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things, and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one is ascended into heaven except to one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but ha- may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order for that, that, that the world might be saved through him.
0: This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And thank you, Bryce and Izzy. We wish we knew a little more about Nicodemus than we do. We do know he was a very prominent citizen and public figure in the city of Jerusalem, highly educated, perhaps a lawyer, and if so, a senior partner in a powerful firm, probably the author of numerous publications and op-eds in the city, paper, a coveted lecturer at civic events, perhaps a behind-the-scenes political kingmaker in Jerusalem, although you wouldn't say that out loud with Herod around. He is nonetheless an elusive and sympathetic figure in John. He's drawn to Jesus, maybe by curiosity, he's heard about some of the marvelous things that Jesus has done. Jesus is fresh off converting water into wine at a wedding. Maybe he was sent by a small group of of, uh, inner circle. Maybe the civic council of Jerusalem said, Hey, why don't you go and find out and check this guy out? At one point, he seems to be speaking for or on behalf of others. And so he may represent the Jewish community, that part of the Jewish community that wanted to follow Jesus and was trying to, but sort of in secret. They were afraid to come out of the closet because it was too risky. And so Nicodemus comes to uh, Jesus' Maybe has his secretary arrange a limousine to come and pick him up and bring him to wherever Jesus is hanging out, some other part of town. He gets there in the dark, maybe knocks on a back door. Jesus lets him in, and in typical MidEastern hospitality, they would make some small talk. Maybe Jesus would offer him a drink. But considering the hour, probably no food. Maybe Nicodemus is anxious and nervous and talking about the coolness of the night or some other inane thing. Finally, he says awkwardly, as one might do to one's therapist when you don't want to reveal too much, but you have to break the ice, I've I've heard about you. You know, I've I've heard some really interesting things about you. You know, I've heard about what you've done and, and some of the things you've said, and I find it mighty interesting. And so Jesus looked at him and realized Nicodemus didn't come here in the middle of the night to make small talk. Elsewhere in the New Testament, it is said that Jesus knew the hearts of people. And that when he looked at someone, he looked with depth perception at their being. And so he responded on a deeper level, responded to Nicodemus's sense of deficiency that brought him out of his house to Jesus. He said... Nick, you've got to start over. You've got to be born anew. Born again. Born from above. It's the same word, by the way. It can be used, it can mean all three of those. interesting that in our church theology, we've used it in the chronological sense, born again rather than in the sense of born from above, which is what I think it means. Jesus said, you know, you're going to have to let go of your social position, your achievements, your theological certainties, your religious reputation. You're going to have to become innocent and vulnerable and dependent all the things you don't want to be. You're going to have to let go of the things that have made you so self-sufficient and successful but have alienated you from the grace of God. Nick, if you want to know me, then know that that's exactly what I've done. I've come to know that I'm a beloved child of God. I am well-pleasing God. I know this to be true and I've entrusted my life to that higher will and purpose. So whatever power you think you see in me comes to me in my vulnerability and weakness. I'm born from above, Nick. And so are you invited to be so let go of the things that you think you know are true the status and the security that you hold on to and start over with dependence not having all the answers you're used to being the person that people would go to for the answers now you must let go there was a long pause and then nicodemus said that's not possible that ain't gonna happen that is not possible how can a person be born again he was talking biologically, but it was really an evasion because he was thinking spiritually and, and existentially. He was thinking this is too costly, too difficult, too risky, as much as I am hungry for newness, I dread what you're talking about, this letting go business. Harvey Cox wrote a book uh, a few years ago, and he talked about three epics in the Christian history. Now, I'm talking about Harvey Cox, not Hank Cox, okay? Harvey was a professor of, at, the, at Harvard Divinity School. I don't think anyone would mistake him for Hank. I'm sorry, Mary, no offense, but Harvey talked about the age of faith, the age of belief and the age of the spirit. Now, of course, these are generalizations, maybe somewhat artificial, but as he explained this, the age of faith was that first uh, maybe couple centuries, the pre-Constantinian era, when people knew and experienced Jesus and have a relationship with Jesus and followed him and embraced his mission and walked in his path. That's how he describes that first era, the age of faith. And then there was this long, many centuries age of belief in which being a Christian became more a matter of assent to doctrines, to uh, amassing knowledge about Jesus, about God, and uh, agreeing with what the church says must be believed and following the rituals and submitting to the authority of the church, the age of belief. And then he, Harvey, would now say we are living in a new age, the age of the spirit, which he describes as an age of horizontal transcendence. In which we experience the holy in the world, in each other, in ourselves. God radically incarnate with us. Now, of course, it's not to say you could not have the Spirit during the age of belief or that only people in the age of faith had the faith. That's not what Harvey's talking about. But I do think we are in an age of looking anew at what we have experienced over centuries and how it is relevant to us today. Just this past week, I was involved in two groups here at this church, one group is mostly women and we are wrestling with the meaning of lent in this time of pandemic it has been a rich experience to listen to these people some of the things i've heard say heard them say profound insights i think they one person talked about this having been One long year of Lenten struggle, of loss. Another one said it's like walking in sticky, deep mud, hard to move. Another person said it's, I feel that my life has been compartmentalized and I'm living with blinders on just to get through so honest and true i was in another group men the second group in which the discussion was a little more heady as you might expect and the and the, the essential question was well, what do you really believe now now that you are you've lived a few decades what do you really believe what do you think is essential to believe and you know a few ideas were batted around and one person had the courage to say I don't understand any of this (laughs) I don't understand the birth I don't understand the resurrection I don't understand I don't think I understand hardly any of it I thought Wow John Philip Newell uh, a, a A pastor in the Iona community talks about why so many people have left the church in this age of the spirit feeling like they are in a spiritual exile because what the church doctrine has been doesn't seem to connect with their real life and as I've looked at this story of Nicodemus I think all of us have some Nicodemus in us. I mean, we are educated. Most of us raised in a church. We, most of us, probably been confirmed. We've got a book of confessions, for goodness sake. Must answer everything. That thing is this thick. We. We're ethical people. We stand on the moral high ground in our society. We're an established, secure people. And yet, with Nicodemus, it seems like, well, for me anyway, my imagination can be limited so that I end up asking, well, what really is possible? with God in this life what really is possible what could really be true and I don't want you to take this the wrong way but I'll just say that the longer I live the shorter is my list of essential beliefs the the narrower is my core truth, and yet the more sure I am of my belovedness and my connection to the Holy One, faith in other words, I think my faith is stronger than ever and yet it is more mysterious than ever, I know less than ever, and I want Riverside to be a place where the Nicodemuses of Jacksonville can feel welcomed and valued. Nick came to Jesus by dark because it wasn't safe for him. I don't want that to be the case for us. Let us come to the light in the light, seeking the light. Newell also said the very yearnings that lead someone into exile or wilderness can become a journey into light. That's good news. It is like the wind. You can't make it blow, and you can't stop it from blowing. That's what Jesus said. There is mystery in God's activity with us. And he uses this feminine image of birth to explain it. The spirit wind blows and breathes life and recreates us from above and changes us. And then in this text, the dialogue shifts to monologue and Jesus says, I must be lifted up on a cross he's talking about. Lifted up the ultimate contradiction, the ultimate mystery. Jesus having to let go completely, how could the beloved Son of God be executed? And yet in this contradiction, Nicodemus is being empowered to become to become someone he has not ever been before. Free as he's never been free to live for God's way. Not captive to the pressures and expectations of the world he's lived in. Someone who is wind-aided, wind-powered, vulnerable as the crucified one born from above. And so, also us, I believe. Beyond all measures of condemnation by God, there is no condemnation by Christ and in Christ. No us, them. No secular versus sacred. The church has not been able to accept this any more than Nicodemus could. He wondered, how can this be? How can you be born from above? And we wonder alongside him, if we're honest, perhaps hungry for permission to cultivate some sense of mystery about the world about God and Jesus and why we are here and what our purpose is and if my old self can become a new self. More than 200 years ago, John Wesley wrote, Let reason do all that reason can. Employ it as far as it can go. But at the same time, Acknowledge it as utterly incapable of giving faith, hope, or love, and consequently of producing either real virtue or substantial happiness. Expect these from a higher source, even the Father of the spirits of all flesh. Seek and receive them, Not as your own acquisition, but as the gift of God, born from above. Amen.